Welcome to Let's Talk Torah. I am Rabbi Tzvi Jacobson with New Radio Media. And we will spend the next hour talking Torah, learning stuff, and having fun while we learn. So our intro today, that beautiful uh, music with the chord. And here I have a friend sitting with me, an expert in all kinds of music. I have Avram. How are you today, Avram? I am really well. Glad to be alive. And I'm somewhat of an expert. Somewhat of an expert. Experts live out of town. I live here. Okay. Uh, my understanding is that you've been playing, you know, when I was a kid playing with, in those days there were Lincoln Logs. Remember the Lincoln Logs? Was oh, little... yeah. yeah, my kids had them. So when I was playing Lincoln Logs, you were playing musical instruments already. Well, I don't know how old you were. I was six. I was ten. You were ten. Yeah, so you were six you were playing. Uh-huh. Where were you playing? Uh, I was playing in Poland. I was born in Poland in 1946. Uh, at age four, I think I was four or three and a half, I remember seeing a, a Russian soldier uh, playing an accordion in, in the park. And all the kids went to play soccer. I was so drawn to that music. I was just, uh, my jaw dropped. So I kept bugging my parents for about a year or more. You know, I want to learn music, I want to learn music. So finally they took me, at, I was five, maybe five and a half. Uh, they took me to uh, what they called the conservatory. It was a school of music for after, after school music. It didn't have day students. And to get in, you know, they had to check my hearing, if I can hear pitches, can I remember melodies. I got accepted and I had two lessons. And uh, when they found out I was Jewish, they told my mother there is no room for me. Unbelievable. How lovely is that? Unbelievable. So already a child prodigy because Uh, I don't think my parents would Not quite a prodigy. How about just... At five years old, if they're testing you and putting... What, what, for those first two lessons, what instrument did they put in your hand? A violin. A violin. So at five years old, Tony, they put a violin in, in Avram's hand. But prodigy, he's not. A prodigy, you have to be three and a half. So he wasn't a three and a half year old prodigy. But as I said, when I was playing with toys or soccer, you were already playing on the violin. That is amazing. Well, you didn't have a Russian soldier in your life. I did not. No, I did not have a Russian soldier in my life. No, I tell people <laughs> I am a real Yankee doodle dandy. All my grandparents were actually born in America. And my great-grandparents came over, late 1800s. So for people, I'm a Yankee Doodle Dandy, not like, uh, certainly not like yourself coming from Poland. But your last name is not a Polish name. Your last name is Ben Zaev. Correct. Well, when I lived in Poland, the name was Kuniański, Abram Kuniański. That's how they say Abraham in Polish. And when I came to this country, when I became a citizen, they gave me the opportunity to change the name. Some people chose Brown and Smith, and I chose Ben Zeev because my father's first name was Zeev, Zichrono Levracha, and I changed my name to Avraham Ben Zeev, son of Zeev. That's beautiful. What a nice idea. So I thought you'd go into Israel first and then here. You came straight to America. No, I, came, I went to Israel first. I spent three years in Israel between 1957 and 1960. In October 1960, on Halloween night, no less, we came to Detroit. 
<laughs> I remember thinking, what a great country. They give candy to children. Aha. Uh -huh. Yes, it is a great country. Maybe not because they give candy to children. Right. It but is a great country. Yes, it is a yes. wonderful country. I feel so fortunate. You have no idea. Well, you're going to tell us, maybe not all today, but over time, I'm mm. sure we'll get to find out. But as a interesting and trending news this week, um, there was a violin. I, I know you know violins a little bit. You play violin. You play numerous instruments. We were talking with Paul before that uh, you may have played with him by by mitzvahs. Um, so there was a violin that was owned by Albert Einstein. It seems some big violinist gave a gift to Albert Einstein, and uh, Albert Einstein was not interested in playing violin like you were. He'd rather do math. So he gave the violin, believe it or not, to the janitor of whatever school, wherever he was. So that's how valuable the violin was to Albert Einstein. He gave the violin away. And it, just this week, it was sold at auction for a half a million dollars. I don't know. Nice if chunk of change. Yeah. I don't know if the violins you played were worth a half a million dollars, but no. uh, not as a five-year-old. And I just want to make a correction. I, I don't play the violin. Uh, with us, this little conservatory incident, uh, about f four years later, maybe five, I forgot the exact age with the violin. Um, I bugged my parents to buy an accordion. Sure. The Russian musician played accordion. And they they put all their little cockpits together. They got me a little accordion. And I went back to the same conservatory. But I enlisted as Adam, Adam Kunyansky. Oh. So because Abraham kind of gives away that you're Jewish. Not too many, not too many Poles named their kids Abraham. So I, became, I went in as Adam Kunyansky. I got one year of studies at the conservatory. Uh, I was between 56 and 57, and 57 we went to Israel. Amazing. And I just I fell in love with the country. It affected me uh, up until today. I'm ah. almost 72. Amazing, amazing. Wow. Kane Yuba, Mayor of Esrim. Avram is going to help us later. He likes to throw in Yiddish phrases, and either I pretend to know them or I don't. <laughs> but in either case, I'll have Avram translate them so you won't know how I know those phrases. Um, anyways, we got lots of stuff to do today. Um, of course, if anybody wants to call in, it's 844 999-9249-844-999-9249. Last week's Torah portion was about sacrifices. People would bring their animals to the temple and have it sacrificed. We're going to discuss if sacrifice is the right word. Um, also, this happens to be the Torah portion. Uh, the first verse of it um, is taught to young children first. When young children will go to a day school... Mm -hmm. Last week's Torah portion called Vayikra is what we teach children, even though it, it's not like the beginning, it's not voracious, it's a, interesting, we're going to talk about why. Um, even the first word of the Torah portion is written a little unusual, we're going to talk about that. To make, you know, one of the things I had to entice Avram to come in. So um, we're going to talk about Kabbalah a little bit, because I know people like uh, spooky stuff, and I don't know, we're going to... You'll see. I, I hope not to disappoint you what we discussed with Kabbalah. And um, also, of course, we're getting close to the Passover holiday. And uh, I could tell because my wife came in with a bunch of uh, bags. And she says, okay, I'm all done for shopping. And I said, 
all done. You mean you're all done with round one? Like we're gonna go back. There's a store here in town called One Stop. Mm-hmm. It's like one stop three or four times a day over the next two weeks. So it's called Four Stop. I don't know what you could call it. It's it's all stops. <laughs> it's I could move in there just with my phone. But uh, Avram, I know you have a very large seder. How how large is the seder that you guys have coming up? Well, this year we'll have seventy people. So. <laughs> Nobody lives in a house uh, large enough to accommodate. So this is, I think, the third year that we are going to rent a place. And this year we'll have it at Beth Am. That'll be our second time. The very first time we did not have a Seder at somebody's house was um, some ladies' auxiliary building in, in Royal Oak. I, th- I think that's what it's called. But So we had about 75 or 80 people. We took over the entire basement. And there was lots of singing, a lot of good eating, and a lot of good uh, friends just celebrating a holiday. Ah, it's a design. See, go ahead, translate that for everyone. I happen to know what that means. As it should be. As it should be. Excellent. Now I just wonder, like, if that were happening in my house with all those children, so each child is going to say the Manishtana. For the Manishtana is four questions. Mm-hmm. That the children will ask. It's already set up what the four questions are. And people have different customs. Sometimes it's the youngest child. Sometimes it's all the children. In my house, I try to get all the children. Once they're married, they don't want to do it. But 75 people, you could be there for an hour just one after another saying Manishtana. Like, how do you guys do this? Well, sometimes we pair them up. uh, And... um Sometimes adults join in, so we try to keep it at a reasonable length. So by the time we get to eat, you know, not too much time passes by. We try to keep it less than two hours. So let's. Okay, that's sometimes good. Sometimes it works, sometimes it doesn't work. We're going to talk, and, we're, and one of the things we want to get into today about Passover, um, over the years, I've met many people, and they tell me that their children are bored, they don't want to be there, it's very boring. And I tell them, I say, it's boring because you don't know the story. If you would know the story, you would have what to share with your children. So today, we're going to try to get through as much of the story as possible so you have what to share. And then uh, whatever we don't finish this week, we still have one more week. Got to give ourselves some time to prepare. But talking about children... It, uh, it reminded me of another piece of trending news, and then we'll get into children with the Torah portion. I hope if I my time doesn't run out on our first segment. There was a man, there was a video. The video went viral. I don't know if you saw this video, Tony, in Georgia. A man in a pickup truck. You didn't see it. No, I didn't. Yeah, I didn't you see, see it. Sounds like an interesting story. Very good story. I tell people all the time, my news is the important news. Everything else, politics, sports, even though a 16 seed beat a first seed, but uh, my news is the important news. So it, it seems there was a guy in a white pickup truck in Georgia, and he sees an older gentleman in a walker crossing the street. So instead of beeping and honking and hurrying up, he must have pulled his truck sideways, blocked traffic, get out of his truck, and walked the gentleman across the street. When the man was safely across the street, gets back in his truck and moves on. And somebody on their phone videoed it, and, and the thing went viral, but which is all part of the Seder. It's all about children. When children see how we act, mm-hmm. when children, not what we tell our children, right? Don't do as I 
Don't do as I as do, I do as I say. I mean, it's backwards, right? Yeah. People say, "Don't do as I do, do as I say," but it doesn't work that way. Yeah. It's no one's doing what I say. They're gonna do what they see exactly. and observe, and what they observe by the say there is a great way for them to learn for the next generation of what they're gonna do with their children. Seventy-five people, camaraderie, friendship, studying, talking. It's it's got to be amazing. A lot of love. A lot of love. A it's got to be love. amazing. Yes. It's got to be amazing. So let's talk children. Once we're on children, as I told you, the first, the, the, this Torah portion starts out that uh, God calls to Moses, Vayikra is the word, he calls to Moses, calls him to the tabernacle, and he's going to teach him the laws of sacrifices. And these are the verses that children who are starting to learn Torah, they start with those verses. You ever wonder? I mean, you did you go to Cheder a little bit in Poland? Uh, no, I went to a Yiddish school, and uh, they taught Yiddish reading and writing, and of course Polish as well. The, the only difference uh, <coughs> between the Yiddish school, or Jewish school as they called it in Polish, or in English, um, was that we took all the subjects that were specified by the government, and in addition to that, there was a Yiddish class. There were a few non-Jewish kids in our school, and they did not have to attend the Yiddish classes. But Torah, they didn't uh, there teach was no you too Torah. much. No. Oh, then it's good you're here. Yeah. Yes, yeah. as a matter of fact, I'm going to learn why we do sacrifices. Yes, we're going to do that next. But the interesting fact mm-hmm. is the concept of sacrifices, which we're going to talk about, this is all very holy things, very pure pure, holy, it's not the mundane of my everyday life, which will get us into Kabbalah later, which we shouldn't be nervous about. It's very holy. Children are holy. Even if they're troublemakers, and I have some of those in my class, or some of those at home, but little children, they're they're still pure. They have no real responsibilities yet till they're bar bas mitzvah. So everything they do is pure, and we want to start them out discussing what's called pure. That's what mm-hmm. we want from them. So we're going to start a Torah portion that talks all about pure, to tell these children you are pure, you're, 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 you're starting to study Torah, we want you to continue to be pure. It's, like a, it's almost like a hidden message to them because mm-hmm. I can assure you a kindergarten or first grade child is not going to catch on to that uh, concept at all. Right. But So let's talk sacrifice. Sacrifice is not a good word. Because when you think of sacrifice, what do you think of? What, is that, what does that word sound like to you? You have to kill something. Okay, that's not what I meant, but okay. What else oh. does it, just the general usage of the word sacrifice. How do you use that word? Um, well, parentally, you have to sacrifice some of your happiness on behalf of the child. Right, so I'm, I'm, sacrifice means I'm giving away something that I'm not so happy oh, I see that I'm actually giving that. it away, yeah, right? Yeah, yeah. That's not the purpose of sacrifices that we give. When we bring a sacrifice, and today is not the day to discuss, it's archaic, it's old-fashioned, it's making animals suffer, and I know they had the story on the United Plane. Today, maybe next week, is not the day to get into that. But sacrifices per se, when, when we're bringing a sacrifice to God, I'm not giving away something. God is giving me an opportunity to become closer to him. That Mm -hmm. is the purpose of a sacrifice. I'm going to bring this animal. 
and I'm going to know that I sinned. I did something wrong. We're not perfect. None of us are perfect. And I'm going to say, really, the king gives you rules and regulations. You don't follow the king's rules and regulations. So you could pay for that with your life. So God says, I'm going to give you an opportunity to fix it. So you bring a sacrifice. So you're slaughtering it. You're throwing the blood. You're burning the animal on the altar. All that's happening there is I'm saying that should be me. I'm the one that's really guilty, right? So this is allowing me to become closer to God. God's giving me an opportunity to go ahead and become closer to him, and and I want to take that opportunity. Even going to the temple, all the holiness that people would see and observe, it, it uplifted them. It made them feel special. It made them special, and it made them closer to God. So sacrifice is really not a good word because I'm not sacrificing I have an opportunity for me to become closer to God. And that's why sacrifice becomes maybe not the perfect word, but that's the what word they word use in English. What would you substitute for it? Um, giving. giving. Actually, the word carbon is the Hebrew word. Mm-hmm. Carbon really means to come close. I see. So, well, I am sorry to interrupt you, but we need to take a little break for our sponsors or to take phone calls i'm not quite sure this is my first time here well we're gonna hit, first we're gonna take care of our sponsors yes phone calls will come later oh fair enough We're offering spectacular savings during the spring sales event at Parkway Chrysler Dodge Jeep Ram. Great deals on our inventory of over 2,000 new vehicles, including our entire selection of Ram 1500 pickups with special lease deals on many of our best-selling models. Over 200 vehicles, under $200 a month. Early out on all lease payoffs of $3,000 or less. And Parkway offers an extra $2,000 for your trade-in. Only at Parkway Chrysler Dodge Jeep Ram in Clinton Township, where you just show up, sign up, and ride. A gelling agent used in making jams and jelly may have anti-cancer properties. Now, Anyone who's ever made jams or jellies is familiar with the ingredient known as pectin, which is a natural fiber product found in most fruits and vegetables. A group from the Institute of Food Research in the United Kingdom found that under the right conditions, pectin releases a molecular fragment that binds with a protein that inhibits cancer growth. And the thing that may make jam and jelly more effective is slowing the growth of cancer than raw pectin is the process used to modify it for use in jams and jellies. You see, it turns out that the modification helps to emphasize the release of the cancer-fighting fragment, which is known as Galactin-3. Now, most commercially available pectin comes from the peel or citrus fruits and apple pulp that is processed before its sale. So for now, no one knows if pectin found in unprocessed fruits and vegetables has the same cancer-fighting qualities. With another prescription for your health, I'm Dr. Jim Bragg. And we're back, and talking about tradition would actually be a great lead-in to Kabbalah conversation. But before I get into the Kabbalah stuff, um, I wanted to talk about one sacrifice. So you know there were animal sacrifices. There were bird or animal sa- There was like bird, the smaller birds, like doves. Mm-hmm. And there was also a flower sacrifice. You ever heard about the flower sacrifice? No, I haven't. It, it was basically, I don't want to say a bag of flour, but it was a, it was probably a couple pounds of flour, some oil, some spices, and there were different ways. You could either just give it as flour, and the priests would make supper out of it, or you could bake it or deep fry it. 
It was actually all matzah. No chametz, no leavened bread was allowed to be brought as a sacrifice. So it had to be made as matzah, which is quite timely, of course. And um, which reminds me, timely, I always get reminded. Again, if you want to call in anything about Passover, if you think I'm not going to get the stuff you want to talk about, or about the sacrifices, or certainly the Kabbalah stuff, um, again, you can call us at 844-999-9249, 844-999-9249. You can always email. I've had some people emailing me right lately at Let's Talk Torah, no apostrophes, Let's Talk Torah at gmail.com. You can join my Facebook page. And again, there's that button there to send the message. And I'll do my best for, as we say, the intelligent questions to, uh, to answer them. We, we do our best. Anyways, very fascinating verse with the flower. It says, when a soul, it says nefesh, right? Like in a shama. Right. When a soul will bring a flower sacrifice. So the famous question is, why specifically by the flower sacrifice is it considered so special? It's a very inexpensive, again, we're calling sacrifice for lack of a better term. It's not the right word. But the this that you're bringing to become close to God, you're bringing flower, is on the cheap end of your cows or sheep or even, even birds. Why, why is it considered a soul will bring a sacrifice? Interesting question. Good question. A good question. I love At the this moment, question. I have no answer. So I wanted to think about it. Who, again, if you were going up to the temple and you want to become closer to God, you've got to look at your bank account, you'll probably spend a little more than you could afford, hopefully, and because, you know, this is something important. This is special. So who's bringing a bag of flour? Um... Just off the top of my head, off I the would top say of your head. someone who is probably not well off, uh, not like someone who may own, uh, let's say, a herd of cows, and giving up one cow is not a huge sacrifice, sacrifice for them. Well or, said. or let's say uh, they own a flock of sheep, but uh, for many people, uh, f- all they could afford is bread and maybe some olive oil. So they, their sacrifice, again, for lack of a better word, um, might have been even greater to bring two pounds of flour because the percentage of their income, it was a much higher percentage than giving up a cow. Good. So that's just what comes to my head. Excellent. Very good. I'm going to take it a little further. Please. The likelihood is that the flour sacrifice is being brought by a very poor person. So where does he have money for flour? So probably what he's doing is he's not eating supper for a couple nights. Because, again, support person. Supper is flour, water. They're going to make a piece of pita bread or whatever, a little oil for some taste. So he'll go a couple nights without supper, put that flour away. You know, we live with credit cards. It's hard to imagine. What do you mean don't eat supper for a few nights? You saved $4.63. Put on the credit card and forget about it. But in those days, no credit card. So you wanted to bring a flower sacrifice, you were going to have to go ahead and not have supper for a few nights. That is a sacrifice. That's really giving. So God says, I love that carbon. I love that sacrifice because you didn't have supper for a few days, so you could come close. It becomes very, very special. That is called the mincha 
or the flower offering, if offering is maybe a better word now comes to mind, over sacrifice. Yes. But I think that works out good. But now I know, as me and Avram talked during the week, Kabbalah. You ever heard, Tony, the Kabbalah Center out in California? I have not. Good. It's all a scam. <laughs> I mean... I agree. Uh, uh, you agree. <laughs> in <laughs> California, there are a lot of scams. Yeah, a lot of scams. Scams Especially everywhere. Especially Hollywood. Scams everywhere. Kabbalah is, and we're going to talk about it for a few minutes. Kabbalah is a very high level of trying to understand God and how he runs the world. And it's very exciting. It's very inspirational. But as we're going to see, it doesn't do anything for me. As one problem, we'll talk about the scam soon. And we'll talk about how really a whole nation was scammed because of it. But I'm going to quote for you. I actually wrote it down from Maimonides. You're familiar with Maimonides? Yes. Everybody's familiar with Maimonides. Great doctor, great scholar. In his law book, actually, called the Yad HaZaka, he writes towards the beginning about Kabbalah. And he says, it is not fitting to travel in Pardes. Pardes is the Talmudic word for Kabbalah. Only one, and he gives the parable, not me, only one who has filled himself with bread and meat to know forbidden and permitted and similarly other commandments. So Maimonides is saying, when you filled up on the meal, your bread, your meat, when you filled up with the Torah, the commandments, the laws, how to act as a person, then you could try to touch Kabbalah, but not beforehand. So I speak with a friend. So he said, and people have said this, it wasn't mm -hmm. the uh, example I gave you. I had a different example for you, but this example is Maimonides. Can't set up with Maimonides. So Maimonides seems to say that Kabbalah is the dessert after the meal. So... Um, you have children coming to the Seder. You've had your own children. If children could, um, if you would feed them, talk about candy. Right? We started our show with Halloween and candy. right? So if you, as a child, could have candy all day, except you get a stomachache, you might be happy with that. Sure. But we all know that if all I eat is dessert, I have no nourishment. I have nothing. And I'll probably get sick. That's the first parable that Maimonides is trying to tell us. That you need, as we say, meat and potatoes. First, you got to start with the real laws, how to live, how to act, how to be a person, what God wants from me. And then, if you could figure it out, and then you could, uh, I'll say dabble, it's really the wrong word. Then you could study this Kabbalah if you want, because that's the dessert. You're doing what you're supposed to do. You know the commandments. You understand the commandments. You want to get into esoteric things. You want to talk about holy things and how God, uh, how he works and how he created the world. All that stuff is nice. But at best, if you could handle it, it's dessert. It's no more than dessert. Mm -hmm. um, the, the Talmud even discusses the dangers that people who were full of knowledge when they tried to delve deep, they were damaged. It's very damaging, very dangerous. Um, it's, for the most part, a, uh, a lost, I would say science, because everybody says lost science. Mm -hmm. I don't want to say lost science. It's, it's just, for the most part, it's not studied. As my friend said, those who know it don't tell. And those who tell, they don't know. 
So what happens is the reason why Kabbalah, for the most part, disappeared happened really in the 1600s. There was a famous false messiah by the name of Shabtai Tzvi. You ever heard of him? Yes. You've heard of him. He's quite famous. He actually, most of his travels or all of his travels were in the Turkish, Israel, maybe Italy, that, that area around the Mediterranean. But the Polish Jews and the European Jews who had suffered so much, they, they were ready to follow. They sold their houses. And he was a brilliant scholar, well-versed in Kabbalah. But in the end, and he was probably manic depressive. He had a lot of issues. But in the, he was a brilliant person. And he was charismatic, and he had people following along. He's famous, by the way. He married a Torah scroll. I don't know if you're familiar with all the stories with uh, Shabtai Tzvi. He married a Torah no. scroll. What's wrong with that? Without getting too deep in our Kabbalah discussion, because people shouldn't, you know, it's easy. I can say, people shouldn't think I know, because you think I know that I don't know, right? If you think I don't know, then I could pretend to, yeah, no. But in any case, I tried that with my class. It got a little circular reasoning and confusing, which was excellent. Uh-huh. In any case, um, the, the concept of marrying a Torah scroll is really a, a type of thought process. In other words, our lives should be one that we're so connected to the Torah as if we're married to the Torah. It's just a way of talking. It never meant to physically marry a Torah scroll. But he took the Kabbalah one step too far, and he took what's supposed to be thoughts and understanding, and he made he made it into physical, into real. And that is what really caused his downfall. And the rabbis were so nervous because this was traumatic for the Jewish people. You're talking about all over Europe, everyone's depressed. They thought the Messiah was here. They sold their houses. They sold their farms. They were marching. They, they were lost. They were completely lost. So the rabbi said, that's it. The rabbi said, we got to get rid of this Kabbalah for the masses. It's only for individuals at best. Those individuals will keep it silent. And anybody, even if they were great scholars, anybody that was running around trying to have classes to teach the Kabbalah, they went after them. They shut them down. That's why when, when people say they have a Kabbalah center or they'll sell you for $100,000, they'll give you special uh, sugar water, to, uh, you know, that has holy properties in it, they're all scams. I mean, it sounds good, it sounds exciting, it, but it's, it's, not, it's not what helps us grow. As a, as a good word, there's inspiration and there's growth. Growth takes effort and work. And that's what we do with all our Torah study. Inspiration is here today, gone a few hours later. I'm sorry to interrupt uh, you again. I'm a bad person. You're an excellent person. <laughs> Uh, actually, this is a very good place to stop, and we'll get back after our break to Let's Talk Torah Show. Want to stay informed, entertained, and enlightened? Get connected and stay connected today to New Radio Media. The New Radio Media app is now available for download in the Apple and Google Play Store. Just search for NRM Streams. For unlimited access to archived, live, new, exciting, and unique content, welcome to Geektainment Weekly, all for free. Do it now. Stay connected. And 
100% and millions of ducks. You guys go to newradiomedia.com. The Arts and Entertainment Channel on New Radio Media. Dot com. What's going on in your neighborhood? They say it takes a village. It's the simple things. The things that are a testament to the old. The things that are a testament to the new. Know what's going on in your community. Check out our community channel on newradiomedia.com. It's all about you, and that's the way we like it. Where you're going. What you do to stay fit. What you're eating what you're thinking and how you're feeling join the conversation at newradiomedia.com's lifestyles channel stream the life you want to live Okay, and we're back. And uh, just in case you're having some technical difficulties with the video, um, we are working on it, but the audio should be working. And, of course, I do apologize. And if you're not having any problems, you don't know what I'm talking about, then it must be your phone. Uh, just one last piece before we get into the actual Passover holiday. Um, another piece of important trending news. Um, following our Kabbalah discussion, which could go on forever, of course. Uh, there was an interesting piece in the news this week by, um, I forgot his first name, Musk, the guy who's doing all those spaceships. Elon to, Musk. Elon Musk, that's it. So he wants, within the next couple of years, to go to Mars. So he's going to be looking for volunteers to be astronauts. So Los them guys. Yeah, let them go. See, I knew that one. <laughs> Very good, thank you. He actually said, you know, most of the people that are going to go on the first round are all going to die. That's his opening remarks to uh, anybody want to join my spaceship, you're probably going to die. He actually said that? Yeah, he said it straight out. It seems he was taking it from, uh, I, the name he gives with an SH, I forgot his name, the guy who went to the, uh, to the Antarctic to check out the penguins. Oh, Shackleton. Shackleton, that's it. He said, I knew you were going to help me today. He said the same thing in his ad. He told them, if we make it, you'll be famous. But you should know a lot of people will probably die on the trip. So, And if you ever check out, they have that beautiful exhibit in the Detroit Zoo here. I don't know if you've seen it recently, the penguin exhibit. Oh, yeah, yeah. It's fantastic. My kids. Well, for some people, that's a lot of excitement. It's the knowing that they could possibly die. Yeah, but because those people don't really think they're going to die. By the way, similar to people who delved into the Kabbalah who also thought they could handle it. Yeah. Okay, but we're... We're really going to move on. Let's, let's do the Passover story. Sure. So where does the Passover story start? It really starts with Abraham. Abraham is told by God that your children will be slaves in a land that's not theirs, 400 years. And then they'll go out with great wealth. Eventually, the Jewish people make it down to the land of Egypt. Joseph is in charge of the land, for those who've seen the 
the uh, the Broadway show. Hopefully those who read the Torah you get the picture a little better. But just open it up. It reads very easy. And we've otherwise go back to one of my old shows we talked about. In any case, um, so the Jewish people come down. Joseph's in charge. And for the first, I don't know, 80, 90, 100 years there, everything is pretty good. Joseph's in charge. His children are in charge. There's, um, there's not slavery yet. Then that whole generation that came down, they're gone. And the Jewish people are starting to increase, and they start to spread out over the land of Egypt. And again, we've talked about this. It's a, an important thought that we imagine that if we try to act just like the nations of the world, they're going to be nice to us. And we find out as soon as we try to be exactly like them, they're not so nice to us anymore. Unfortunately, similar, Avram, to your story with the conservatory, as soon as they figured out you're Jewish, oh, we don't have room for you. And this is not so long ago. So this becomes our history, but God does it on purpose. He sets it up that if the nations would let us become so friendly and mix with them, we would disappear. And fascinating, we did not disappear in Egypt. The Egyptians hated us, therefore the Jews stayed separate. We didn't keep Torah. We were idol worshippers. We've talked about it before. There were only three things we did you could tell we were Jewish. Our names, like Abraham. Um, our language, you speak Yiddish. And actually the clothes. It's hard mm-hmm. to know 3,300 years ago what kind of clothes they wore, but even the clothes were Jewish. But that was it. Mm-hmm. Everything else, as I, as I like to joke, you walk into McDonald's and you see three Hasidic guys speaking in Yiddish, eating a McDonald's hamburger. Because we didn't do any Torah, mm-hmm. but we were different. They knew we were Jews. The Pharaoh, um, through his astrology, um, it's debatable, again, either just wants to wipe out the Jews, or he's worried about Moses, the Messiah, showing up. So he decides we got to wipe out the Jewish people. But you can't just wipe out a whole nation. So he first has to turn us into, you know, second, third, fourth class citizens mm-hmm. by making us slaves. After we're slaves, then he'll slowly move along with his plan. Part of his plan of becoming slaves was that we're going to be slaves, we're not going to have so many children, which was also part of his plan to slow down the amazing increase in Jewish children. But it backfired. Now, interesting enough, it backfired, and this may be a conversation for after Passover, but it backfired because of the righteous Jewish women. And as the men said, forget about it. So it's too hard, kids are not doing it. The Jewish women said, no, we're going to have families. They use their mirrors, and they convince their husbands to stay married and have children. So it says because of the righteous women, we continue to exist. We left Egypt. So Pharaoh tricked us. We become slaves. We're working, and the plan has failed. So just because the plan failed doesn't mean he's going to say we don't have to be slaves anymore. No, slaves, we're going to stay. His next plan is, like, scary. He goes to the Jewish midwives, right? They didn't have doctors. They had midwives. And he informs them that when a baby boy is born, because he was more concerned about Moses being born from his astrology, when a baby boy is born, you kill that kid when he's being born. He taught them different tricks, how you could tell. And uh, that was plan two, that the midwives will commit the murders for him. So he's got Jews killing Jews. Right? We, we talk about Yesvexia or, or, uh, or 
whenever they had the uh, those those people in the uh, in the ghettos, again the name is, uh, I don't remember another time. They the capos, right? The Jewish capos. Mm-hmm. That again, they would have Jew going ahead and giving over another Jew to get killed by the Nazis, by the Russians, mm-hmm. in jail, all the different stuff. But it didn't work. It says the midwives feared God, which is fascinating. In other words, if they wouldn't have feared God, they might have gone along with killing these children. Instead, it says they feared God, and they refused to kill the babies. And they gave Paro, the Pharaoh, some excuse that the, that the Jewish ladies heard about it. They don't need midwives. They don't call us in. So finally, Pharaoh sees this Moses is coming through his astrology. So he says, all baby boys are thrown in the river. Kill them all. That's the decree. Um, we'll fast forward. Moses is born. And um, he's actually born early. So the parents can keep him in a basket or whatever at home till the Egyptian soldiers will start checking. And this, I always like to say, is God's sense of humor. The, um, after three months, he was born early. They take Moses in a basket and put him in the river. Now, remember, Pharaoh is the one that's looking to wipe out the Jewish people. So Moses in a basket. His sister Miriam is watching nearby. And all of a sudden, within a few minutes, the daughter of Pharaoh, the princess, shows up at the river. She sees the basket. She stretches out her hand or sends her maidservant. She opens the basket and she says, oh, baby, my baby, a new toy for the princess. I want this baby. But the, the nursemaids, the kid's crying, and there's only two reasons the baby cries, right? Change my diaper, feed me. And there were no Egyptian, he wouldn't nurse from the Egyptian wet nurses, nursemaids. Mm-hmm. So Miriam is there. So she says, oh, I know a Jewish lady who can do it. So she calls Moses' mother. So Moses, Yocheved, uh, Yocheved yeah. comes. She nurses Moses. So little daughter of Pharaoh says, look, for the next couple of years, till he's weaned, I can't do nothing with him. So you take him home. You nurse my baby. Um, I'll pay you, of course. And to make sure no one touches my baby, I'll put guards outside the door. So the pharaoh that's busy trying to kill Moses is paying to feed him and protect him. So if you like a sense of humor, that's God's sense of humor. Avram, so far so good? So far so good. Very fascinating story. So far moving along. You're supposed to know this story, which we tell over to the children. Moses grows up. He goes back. He goes to the palace, grows up a little more, goes out, sees an Egyptian hitting a Jewish man. He kills the Egyptian, and now he's a criminal. So he has to run for his life out of the country, and for the most part, he disappears for about 60 years. He gets married. Then we get to the point where... Um, it's time to take the Jewish people out. So Moses will be with the sheep. One of the sheep will run away. Moses will follow the sheep. He gets to the famous burning bush, a big thorn bush. It's burning, but we know twigs should disintegrate. It keeps burning. So Moses goes, checks out the thorn bush, and uh, then he sees an angel, and then it's like getting his eyes adjusted to the spirituality, and then God starts to speak to Moses. A week-long conversation convincing Moses that he must go down and take out the Jewish people. Moses doesn't want to do it himself. God says, fine, you can take your brother Aaron. Moses goes down to Egypt. He goes with Aaron to Pharaoh's palace to give over the message that God says it's time to let the Jewish people go. 
Pharaoh, of course, says, what are you out of your mind? I have millions of slaves. The last thing in the world I'm doing is letting these slaves go. Besides, Pharaoh says, God, never heard of him. What God? Who's God? What's God? I'm God. Right. So, um, so, the, uh, so okay, fine. He goes out, comes back. He, um, and then he, we begin the ten plagues. Ten plagues where actually there was a purpose. There's numerous facets. But the simple one is, um, first we have to prove there's a God. So there's going to be the plague of blood. So there's no water. So they want water. They could buy it from the Jews. But water turned into blood. That's not magic. Egyptians were, were steeped in magic. Magic they knew. <laughs> but this wasn't magic. This was real because it killed the fish. So it wasn't like colored Right, so you got blood. It wasn't fake. It wasn't fake. You got the blood, you got the frogs. And again, we've talked about it in the past. I have a blog up actually on it where um, when these frogs came out of the Nile River, when the Egyptian would hit the frog, the frog actually doubled instead of dying. So they kept multiplying. So the Egyptians kept hitting to try to kill them. But their brain. Like movie, Sorcerer's Apprentice. They tried to kill a broom, and each broom became a broom, you know, the little pieces of broom. Oh, very good. That's a very good story. That's a good story, but yeah. this is a real story. Yeah. That this was, is the real. <laughs> this is the real one. <laughs> very so good. So they must have copied Judaism when they wrote that part in the... Let me tell you something. Disney. Anything you find in those books, they... It's, they, it's they rooted. No, they copy, they find like Kabbalah stuff or words. Uh, a lot of her words, by the way, in, the, in, in that Harry Potter series, uh -huh. she takes from the Talmud. Really? She takes Aramaic oh. words. Yeah, she's very... did a lot of research. That's very good. So um, so we have the frogs. They basically take over the country, croaking, noise. Then we get, and the, the magicians keep copying those first two plagues. Not perfect, but if they can copy it, so it's magic, it's not a miracle. Then we get to the lice. The lice is so teeny that the magicians actually can't copy it. So the magicians say it's the finger of God, which really should be the end of the day. We, we, we already went ahead and showed you that this is God. Your magicians agree it's God. So we should be done. We should be done and leave. But Pharaoh's not done. And Moses is not done. But part one of the plagues is done. We have proven, for those who open their eyes, we have proven there's a God. But now we have to prove the next part. The next part is that not only is there a God, but God runs the whole world. God controls everything in the world, everything that's happening. Which not that I want to get into it, but uh, Stephen Hawkins died this week. Very famous, oh, yeah. Very famous, brilliant, super genius man. Supposedly didn't believe in God. Um, what he really didn't believe is he didn't believe that if there would be a God, he would control the world and he would control everything that happens. And that's what happens in the next three plagues: the plague of the wild animals. What happened? Am, I, am, I, am I in trouble again? Well, yeah, it's, that's a good time to leave uh, the listeners. Uh, maybe we can pick it out uh, next week. or Oh, no, we're going to finish this after the break. We're going to finish this oh, after yeah. the break. And one, then, okay. But we got to get to our word of the week, so we're yeah. going to do our best. Okay, we'll be right back. What's going on in your neighborhood? They say it takes a village. It's the simple thing. The things that are a testament to the old. And the things that are a testament to the new. Know what's going on in your community. Check out our community channel on newradiomedia.com.
are we here? What makes a person truly good? For those answers, you're gonna have to take a philosophy class. But if you're more interested in who would win in a fight between R2-D2 and a Dalek, watch Get It to the Geeks on Tuesdays at 6 p.m. on NewRadioMedia.com. low-budget movie version. 60s TV version. Early 2000s high school pseudo-adaption that eventually grows into the geek we all know and love version, yeah? I'm getting paid a lot of money to be here, so listen up. Watch the Geektainment channel on NewRadioMedia.com. It's geek-approved. It's all about you, and that's the way we like it. Where you're going. What you do to stay fit. What you're eating. What you're thinking. And how you're feeling. Join the conversation at NewRadioMedia.com's Lifestyles channel. Stream the life you want to live. Okay, Avram, we're going to have to talk fast. We're, we can't leave people hanging with the ten plagues. I'm all ears, and okay, so are good. listeners. Oh, yeah. And again, if you want to try to get through something quick, 844-999-9249. Okay, so the second group of plagues is to prove that God runs the world. So, for example, you have the wild animals. The wild animals were only in Egypt, not in the Jewish neighborhood called Goshen. Now, wild animals don't know where to walk unless God says, this is the line. Also, I teach my children, my, my, my boys in class, we talk about it was like the best zoo. Because if you were a Jewish kid, you could ride the animals. The animals were not hurting any Jewish people because that was the line that God drew. The fifth plague is called plague because it was an airborne disease. Now, airborne disease can't control. It's everywhere. It should have killed people and animals. Instead, it only mm -hmm. kills animals and only animals owned by Egyptians. And then the third plague to prove that God runs the world, um, that he, just, he didn't create the world and go away on vacation, is the boils, where Moses will throw the ashes into the air and the ashes will spread and, uh, and when it hits an Egyptian, it will erupt in boils and blisters, but it's not going to affect Jews. So it's spreading all over the country, but only Egyptians are suffering. Mm -hmm. So God controls the world. That gets us into those six. By the sixth plague, it actually says that God is now strengthening Pharaoh's heart so that Pharaoh won't just, because this are just overwhelming. So Pharaoh shouldn't be overwhelmed. He could still be stubborn. And maybe next week we'll talk about it more. We have the last four plagues. We have the hail, is the fire and ice. We have the the locusts that just destroy any food that's left. And again, the Jewish food is it, farms are, are not touched. We have the plague of darkness and that complete pitch blackness for six days. The Jews were searching for gold and silver, which they didn't take. 
Also, many Jews who didn't want to leave Egypt mm-hmm. were going to die then and buried, so the Egyptians shouldn't see. And we end with the plague of the firstborn. So Moses has been continuously warning Pharaoh. He tells Pharaoh, Pharaoh, tonight it's all over. After tonight, at the I would say the stroke of midnight, but it's really the middle of the night. So right now, believe it or not, in Detroit, the middle of the night is about 142. But fine. At the stroke of midnight, because you like that phrase, um, all the firstborn are dying. And then you're going to beg me to leave your country. And sure enough, that plague comes and wipes out every firstborn. Certainly the Jews aren't touched. Um, we might be familiar. We put blood from the sacrifice on our doorposts. It wasn't a force field or anything like that. It was just you listen to God's commandments, you're protected. Because we know that if I'm an Egyptian, I'm putting my kid in a Jewish house. Didn't help. I'm taking a Jewish kid, putting him in my house. Also didn't help. Pharaoh will hunt for Moses. He doesn't even know where he lives. So we joke with the kids. He's running around in his pajamas. Uh, I bring my class one day. They have to come in pajamas. We dance around the school. And anybody who brought pajamas, I buy them a Slurpee to make uh-huh. it uh, otherwise a little hard to get. I'll tell you what. I'll come with pajamas. You'll go with pajamas. I'll tell you when we're doing this. It won't be for a couple months. We're not up to that Torah portion yet. But we dance through the building. We love it. Anyways, Pharaoh comes and begs Moses, get out. He announces, it's miraculous, the whole country here is the Jews are free, but we actually don't leave till the next morning. And I'm going to put a pause on the story of Passover. Next week, we're going to finish up uh, the story to leaving Egypt. We're going to talk about highlights during the actual Seder, which are very important. Not everything is as as, uh, important as other things. Certain things are a must. We're going to talk about that. We'll talk what's important about matzah. What's so special about matzah? Why we eat the matzah? Why we eat the bitter herbs? But I just, in my few minutes left, Ashley, you got my poster? She is got thumbs up, so we're ready for a poster. So every week, Avram, we do a letter of the week, oh. and we do a word of the week. So we'll see how far we can get. This okay. is the biggest letter in the Jewish alphabet. It is the Lamed. It is tall. Now, interesting, I have to teach children sometimes to recognize different letters so since the Lamed, it has that bottom, it's like hooks up almost like last week's letter was a chaf, and on top of it, there's a tall pole or a vav really on mm-hmm. top. So I tell my children in school, I say the Lamed, which is a la sound, is looking all over the place. So to remember that letter, it's, written, it's uh, the looking letter. Uh-huh. It's the looking letter. Good mnemonic device. Yes, that's, we like mnemonics, all these types of things. The numerical value is 30. Um, it's interesting that um, that this is the, the, we have the smallest, in the name Yisrael, the Jewish people, we start the name Yisrael with the smallest letter, and we end it actually with the largest letter. Just an interesting piece. The word itself, the letter itself is Lamed. Lamed, which is the name of the letter, also means to teach. Mm-hmm. So this is a letter telling us about teaching, which is what we're doing here every week. And hopefully, when we teach you about Passover, that's what you're going to do with your children or anybody else who doesn't know the story. But it leads me to my word of the week. This week, my word is lave. Familiar with lave? Yes. What's lave? Heart. Heart. And in Yiddish, how do you say heart? A lave. A lave. Some people have that name. Um, Aya uh-huh. lave is such a name. So the heart, in our few minutes left, the heart is a fascinating organ. 
it's fascinating. It's a muscle. It's a pump. It's a pump. You know, you live in, in, I don't know, in your neighborhood, but in my neighborhood, everybody has sump pumps. Mm-hmm. If you're sump pump, for those not familiar, it, 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 a lot, the water table is very high. So it, uh, it pumps water out of the house so there's no yeah. flooding. So if your electric goes down, your basement is flooded. And it doesn't take much that a sump pump stops working. Or if you happen to have uh, baseboard heating, you need your pumps to get the water through. But these are very simple, as an engineer, these are simple uh, types of machinery. But the heart is amazing. We talked about the heart pumps 70 times a minute, 100,000 times a day. Try doing that, clenching your hands back and forth over and over. For 80 years. For 80 years. 90 years. It's a muscle that God gave us that's always working, never sleeping, and when it needs to work extra for the athlete. No problem. Out it goes. It has those electrical charges, its own personal pacemaker. It's really, really quite fascinating. But Avram, I'm sorry. Our time is up. I am so sorry to I am that. sorry, and we have to say goodbye. So I appreciate you coming. I hope you'll come back and join us. Thank you for inviting me. Oh, my greatest pleasure. I would like to thank all my wonderful sponsors and listeners. I couldn't do without you. Uh, thank you to the wonderful production team here today, Drew, Tony, Ashley, Kelsey. I hope I've left you with some food for thought. Until next week, I am Rabbi Tzvi Jacobson. You've been listening to Let's Talk Torah, New Radio Media. And until next week, don't forget to think about it. A gelling agent used in making jams and jelly may have anti-cancer properties. Now, anyone who's ever made jams or jellies is familiar with the ingredient known as pectin, which is a natural fiber product found in most fruits and vegetables. A group from the Institute of Food Research in the United Kingdom found that under the right conditions, pectin releases a molecular fragment that binds with a protein that inhibits cancer growth. And the thing that may make jam and jelly more effective is slowing the growth of cancer than raw pectin is the process used to modify it for use in jams and jellies. You see, it turns out that the modification helps to emphasize the release of the cancer-fighting fragment, which is known as Galactin-3. The most commercially available pectin comes from the peel or citrus fruits and apple pulp that is processed before its sale. So for now, no one knows if pectin found in unprocessed fruits and vegetables has the same cancer-fighting qualities. With another prescription for your health, I'm Dr. Jim Bragg.